Exodus chapter 2 this, this evening. Exodus chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there with me if you don't mind. Continue, continuing in our uh, series here uh, through the Bible. Hopefully you've been able to keep up with the uh, Scripture reading. And if you are, this past week you would have read this, this passage in Exodus chapter 2. It's a passage that uh, whenever I read it, it always kind of hits me a little bit, and uh, you need a handout, maybe one over here. Okay, excellent. But uh, Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking just at three verses tonight, really, uh, a couple other verses in, uh, kind of around the same area, but primarily we're just going to be looking at uh, verses 23 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then we're going to pray. Our message tonight is called A God Who cares. And my, my hope and my prayer tonight is that this is an encouragement, that this message certainly all, <clears throat> excuse me, certainly all of us could use uh, a challenge, I'm sure, but, but my heart really tonight is that this would be a, an encouraging message for us about the God that we have and who, and who we serve and, and just the, how wonderful He really is to us and how we'll see that, that demonstrated in His interaction here with the children of Israel. And we serve the same God today. And that's the comfort that we have today. So let's read the text as we look at it tonight. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do ask that you would meet with us tonight. I pray that you would anoint my lips, that I would say nothing that your word doesn't say. God, I pray that it would be, as we've said, that this message tonight would be an encouragement to hearts. Father, you know where all of us are, Father, and each of us in, in various places in our, in our hearts and in our lives, and various uh, discouragements, various uh, triumphs, Father, things that are going well, things are not going well. Father, you, you know, and as we're going to see tonight, you, you know every single one of us and, and every single situation in each of our lives. And God, we thank you for that. And we want to praise you for that tonight. And I pray that this would be a time of, of encouragement and, and recognizing who you are. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things have happened up to this point in the book of Exodus already, so let's get up to speed. Uh, the, the book of Genesis closes with the death of both Jacob and Joseph. Um, all of Joseph's family is now where? In Egypt, right? And, and I think sometimes we kind of, we, we think of these stories in isolation a little bit. We think of the story of, of Joseph and, 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 and his brothers and everything, and, and we kind of forget that that's actually what led to the children of Israel actually being in the land of Egypt, right? And, and that's, that's how they got there. Um, all of Joseph's families in Egypt, at the start of the book of Exodus, all of that generation dies. So Joseph, all of his brothers, obviously Jacob's already gone and Joseph's gone at the end of, end of the book of Genesis. But Joseph and all of his brothers, they're now gone 
gone, they're now gone, his children, their children's children, they live on. And according to chapter 1 of the book of Exodus, they grow and, and they multiply in the land of Egypt until there are just too many of them, right? They, they start to take over the land of Egypt. And then a new pharaoh comes on the scene that does not know Joseph, that was not familiar with Joseph. That Joseph, Joseph had been a leader in, in, in the land of Egypt, obviously, and, and was, was second in command only to Pharaoh, right? And, and was, was very well respected. But this new Pharaoh comes along who does not know Joseph. And, and, and so the children of Israel have, have been taken over and there's so many of them, they're multiplying and multiplying. And over the course of 430 years, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, the children of Israel are going to be enslaved in Egypt. This new Pharaoh commands that all male children should be killed. The midwives that, that fear God deceive Pharaoh, the male, the male children live. In chapter 2, Moses comes along. Moses lives. He is raised in Pharaoh's house as an Egyptian, thanks to the creativity of his sister. But eventually, Moses sees, an, uh, at the beginning of chapter 2, Moses sees an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew. So what does he do? He kills him. He kills that Egyptian, and he has to flee the country because now the Pharaoh who's in power at this point wants him dead. Egypt, uh, excuse me, Moses flees to Midian. He settles in Midian. He spent his first 40 years of his life, we, we know this from a couple different time stamps in various points, actually in the book of Acts, but a couple different areas that we see that Moses' took, Moses' life took several different frames, right? We have 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. I think most of you know this. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in, in exile, effectively, in Midian, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel out of bondage and wandering around in the wilderness. He, he goes to Midian. He marries a Midianite woman, the daughter of the priest of Midian, which, which brings us to the end of chapter 2 and verse 23, where again it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt dies. So this king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt, we, we probably can safely assume that this was the pharaoh that wanted Moses to be killed, right? That, Moses, that, wanted, that wanted Moses dead. And so therefore we can say, okay, now Moses is going to be ready to go back to Egypt. Here in the first verse here of our section of our text tonight, you can see on your handout there, God's people cry out for help. Now, in the process of time, the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel did what? What does it say in verse 23? What did the children of Israel do? They groaned. Okay? That's not a pleasant noise, right? When you groan, they, they are crying out. Because of the bondage, they cried out. Their cry came up to who? To God. Their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So the children of Israel are crying out. They've been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, and they're crying, and we, we, we can assume they are crying out to God. It's worth mentioning or noting, just, it's just a kind of a point of interest, that at some point along the way, the children of Israel, probably for a good part of the way, when they were in Egypt, were not serving Yahweh, were not serving God. Look at what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. So at some point, during their time in Egypt, they were not actually serving the Lord. So the people are burdened down with their affliction, but they do cry out. They cry out to God. And what does God do when we cry out? He hears. Yeah. He, first of all, he, he hears. God hears his people. Verse 24, so God heard 
their groaning. We'll see also where there's going to be several correlations between this passage that we're looking at here tonight and the section in the first part of chapter 3 where Moses is at the burning bush, right? And God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And there's several correlations here between this passage. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, God is speaking here. Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So God heard. Look at verse uh, 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. What does it mean that God hears? That God listens? It means that that when God's people call out to him, him, that that he hears them. I mean, do do we ever stop? Do do we, in, in, in our modern era of Christianity of being Bible-believing people, do we take it for granted that we can talk directly to God? I think so. I, I, I think it's interesting to, to consider, at least for a moment, that the people of Israel did not have the kind of access to God that we enjoy today, right? They lived at a different time, where, where in order to go to God, actually, this isn't even, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the law. We haven't even gotten to the tabernacle and, and the temple and, and the sacrificial system. We haven't even gotten that far yet in, in the course of the children of Israel and their history. I mean, at some point, they would be able to go to God through a priest. But at this point, they wouldn't even have been able to do that. At this point, perhaps they could have. I don't know exactly when all that. I mean, obviously, the, the law brought all that together and, and gave them the instruction of how exactly it was for them to do that. But, but what access did they have to God at this point? Very little. Nothing compared to what we enjoy today. But when it says that God heard them, it means that it says the cry of his people came up to him, that he got the message, and his, the message that was that his people were hurting. When it says that God hears, it means that, that Almighty God, the creator and the sustainer of life and breath, the God who formed the world and everything in it, when his people pray that he listens. The cry of his people came up to him and he got the message. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. He says, the psalmist says, he puts my tears in a bottle. The psalmist is using powerful imagery here to to describe the care and the concern that the Lord has for his people. He cares about us enough to record our struggles, to keep a record of our concerns. Perhaps you've been to the point where you you don't even know how to pray. You don't even know what to say. God doesn't hear anything you're saying because you're you're, you're not crying out to Him because you've just run out of words. You don't even know what to say. and, And that may be perhaps in that case you simply weep. I know many, if not all of us, have been there, even in recent days. What does God do in that situation? According to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. Later in verse 34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, it is, all, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who is doing what? He's making intercession. Right there in the same chapter, in Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that both the, Father, both the Son and the Holy Spirit are making intercession for us when we don't know what to say. Both the Son and the Holy Spirit are interceding on our behalf. He cares enough for us that even when we don't know what to say, even when we don't know how to pray, He prays for us. But it's not enough for God to simply hear His people. We hear about things all the time that we can do nothing about. It's not, this is not just a, a hearing. It's, we'll see next that God remembers what He has said. He remembers the promises that he has made. Pastor talked about this remembering a couple weeks ago in the context of Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. God remembered Noah later in chapter 30, verse 22. God remembers Rachel. What happens when God remembers? And of course, we know this isn't because God forgot, right? We talked about that. But, but, but when, when God remembers, what does that mean? It means he's about to do something. It means he's about to act. When God remembers Noah, what does he do? The, the, the wind passes over the earth. The waters subside. When God remembers Rachel, what does he do? He gives her children. It means that he is about to act. Verse 26 back in our, excuse me, 23 back in our text. Uh, they cried out to him. Verse 24, God heard their groaning. God remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Psalm 25, verse 6 and 7, God remembers us. The psalmist is, is crying out to God to remember me. He says, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies, your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to your mercy. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Remember me. Based on these passages and, passages and others like it, it's clear that, that when God... Isn't, he's not remembering something he forgot. He is remembering in the sense that he's about to do something about it. He remembers the promises that he made to Abraham. Look at a couple of these. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham, Get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. God promises that, in all, that through you all nations of the earth will be, will be blessed. Later in chapter 15, he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And will serve them. They will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. God remembers the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I put these references on your, on your handout tonight. We're not going to look at them. But God made these promises. God promised that the promise he made to Abraham would be fulfilled to Isaac and be fulfilled to Jacob. In Genesis 35, he, God says to Jacob, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give you this land. God made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that they would have a land. That a great nation would come from them. And that great nation had come. 
And for 430 years, that great nation had been enslaved in Egypt. But that wasn't all that was promised. They, they were promised a land. They were promised a place that they could call their own. And God remembers. God remembered that he had made them that promise. So you might be thinking, well, that's, that's great for those guys. God made them those promises. Okay, but, but what about me? God doesn't make a covenant with me promising me land. He didn't promise you land or a great nation or anything like that. But he has made hundreds of, as we sang about and talked about already this evening, God has made hundreds of promises to us and just a very few select promises that he has made for us just to encourage us tonight. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's quoting there from Deuteronomy chapter 31. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. The, the, it's crazy. The same God that we serve today who, this is the same God who heard the cries of His people, who, who delivered them from their bondage in Egypt. It's the same God. He doesn't change. And He promises that He doesn't change. That's a promise. Jesus Christ, He doesn't change. He is exactly the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And aren't we thankful for that? He, no, no, we don't have to wonder if we're going to wake up tomorrow and he's going to be different or if something's going to change. He's the same. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And what does Paul say we should do as a result? He says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory or boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I, I ought to be, be just thankful for my weakness because when I am weak, then is he strong. His grace is sufficient. That, that means his grace is sufficient for, for you. Aren't we so good at seeing God's grace be sufficient for everybody else? Isn't it so easy? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, they'll be okay, right? Because God's grace is sufficient for them. But when it comes to me, when it comes to you yourself, I don't know. Struggle with that. Proverbs chapter 3. What does Solomon say? Trust in the Lord with, with how much of your heart? All of it. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all of your ways acknowledge Him. And He shall What? He'll direct your paths. And, and, and we've seen this to be true, have we not? Have, have, have we not all seen the Lord directing our paths because we trust Him? But man, that can be tough. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Full surrender. We, we can easily say, I, I'll, I'll give you this part over here and I'll let you have that. Okay, no problem. I, I trust you with that, but, but not, I don't know about this. I'm not sure how okay I am with this part, Lord. But he says, trust me with all of your heart. And, he, and he, the promise is that he will lead you. He will direct your paths. He'll guide you. James chapter 1. My brethren, count it joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. Character. You know what that means? The promise there is that the testing of our faith isn't wasted. That God doesn't waste suffering. 
that when we go through trials, that there's a purpose. That there is a point, there's a point in the pain. That when we experience the trials and the afflictions of this life, the testing of our faith produces character. That God doesn't waste suffering. Same idea in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And it doesn't mean that it's all good and that everything's just going to be wonderful. No, the good in the, in the next verse, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. The good is him growing us to be more like his son. Becoming more like Christ. So God hears the cries of his people. He remembers what he promised them. God also sees his people. God hears the groaning. He remembers the covenant that he made. Verse 25, God looked upon the children of Israel. Look also again in in chapter 3, verse 7. I've surely seen the oppression of my people. Verse 9, I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. One commentator noted that this is the opposite of God turning his back on his people. God will not turn his back on you. He still sees. He could have heard their cries. He could have remembered the covenant that he made with them and decided that he didn't want to do anything about it. Now, he wouldn't have been God. Okay. But he he could have looked the other way. But he didn't. It's interesting to note, turn back to chapter 2, verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Note... Moses also saw the burdens of the people of Israel. But what could he do about it? Not a whole lot. He saw the burdens of his people. Unfortunately, he took matters into his own hands, kills an Egyptian, which is, again, how he ends up leaving Egypt in the first place. Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. This verse covers both the fact that God sees and hears his own people. God sees. What we are going through is not lost on him. He has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. He's not looking the other way. He sees and he knows. And that's the final point this evening. God Knows, And it's a very unfortunate, in my humble opinion, translation in our New King James. God acknowledged them. The same word is used in chapter 3, verse 7. Again, for I, in the, the last phrase of the verse there, for I know their sorrows. It's the same Hebrew word. And, and again, it's just interesting that they chose the word acknowledge. I don't know if you could choose a worse word um, in, in that case, because, it, you know, at least in the terms of the way that we use the word acknowledge in our current English vernacular, right? If I say, I, yeah, I acknowledge it, okay? I, I mean, yeah, okay, sure, I know. It's there. But, but, but that, there's so much more to this in the case of God's knowledge of his people. I like the ESV translation. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He knew. John ten seventeen says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And of course, God knows everything. We know that. Um, but this is so much more than just a cold knowledge or awareness of facts. 
I mean, you, you might know facts about a celebrity, right? But, and you might rightly even say, oh yeah, I, I, I know them, as in I, I know who that is, I know who you're talking about, but, but you don't know them, right? You don't know that celebrity, you're, you're not close friends with them, you don't have a relationship with them, that you don't know what makes, their tick, what, what makes them tick or what their hopes and dreams are. God knows you. He knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. He understands you. Do you, ever, do you ever find yourself kind of questioning, like, what, man, I don't, I, why did I do that? Why did I say it? Why? Well, he, he, God doesn't ask that question. He knows. <laughs> he understands everything about you. Turn to Psalm 139. We, we can't talk about this. I, I, you need to note it on your handout, but we, we can't talk about the knowledge of God without talking about Psalm 139. Just a couple highlights here. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my words, my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Look at verse 17. Again, Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Listen to this. This verse gets me every time. How precious are your thoughts, God, the God of the universe who made everything, the almighty God. How precious are your thoughts to me? If I should count them, his thoughts, if I count his thoughts, they would be more in number than the sand. That's a lot of thoughts. That God is thinking about about every single one of us. That he's thinking about, about you and about me. Knowing, knowing our struggles, knowing, knowing our pain, knowing our grief, knowing, knowing the burdens that we carry. He, he knows. Verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my anxiety, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This whole psalm is about the fact that God knows us. We were his idea. We didn't decide to come up with ourselves. He, he did. We were his idea. Nothing, nothing is hidden from him. So what is it about a God who knows us that should comfort us? So God knows us. Okay, what, I mean, what, 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 what is it that should comfort us about the knowledge of God? I wonder if you've ever been in a situation with someone that you're, you're trying to help. Perhaps a child, where, where it's clear that, that something is wrong, but you can't figure out what is wrong. You want to help, but you don't know what's wrong, and so you can't. Maybe a friend that you know something's just, just off, but you can't put your finger on what it is. You can't figure out what's wrong. Have you ever fa- thought about the fact that God never has to wonder what's wrong? He never has to ask any questions. He he knows. He understands. As one writer said, he has an intimate, personal acquaintance with all the particulars of of your suffering. There's nothing outside of what God knows. So all this is wonderful, and, and, and hopefully... Tonight, we've been reminded about the type of God that, that we serve, but at some point we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, so what? What difference does that make? 
God sees, God knows, He hears, He, he remembers. But, but what does that mean for us? In the very next chapter, back in the book of Exodus, yes, God sees and, and He hears and He remembers, He knows, He acknowledges, He, know, he knows exactly what His people are going through. And, and what does He do? In the very next chapter, He acts. He does something about it. In the very next chapter, He speaks to Moses and He, 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 he starts... Uh, he, he starts the process of offering deliverance to his people. He acts. And you know, really, it didn't even start then. God has already been preparing. He's already been working behind the scenes. So because God is a God who hears, who remembers, who sees and knows, that we can trust him to be a God who acts on behalf of His people. The title of the message, again, is A God Who, who Cares. The character of our God that we see on full display in this passage is the character of a God who cares. He cares for you. He cares for me. He hears you because He cares. He remembers His promises to you. He acts on those promises because He cares. He knows you because He cares for you. He sees you because He cares for you. And what is our response to a God who cares for us? 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Because we have a God who cares, we don't need to feel alone. Because we have a God who cares, we, we can and should cry out to Him in faith, believing that He cares for us and believing that He will supply our every need. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You. Thank You that You are a God who cares. That You love Your people. You love us. Lord, that You act on our behalf that you do not forget your people, that you remember the promises that you have made. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises contained in it. Encourage us with your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.